Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. I would like to welcome Andy Shea to the Philosophy Podcast. Andy, Andy's the head coach of the Yale University Bulldogs, won the 2018 National Championship for the first time since, I don't know, 1896 or something. And, uh, <laughs> what was it? 1883. Since 1883. But uh, Andy, congratulations on building this program. It's been a long road. I've really admired the work you've done for a lot of years. Love talking lacrosse with you and couldn't be more excited about having you on this podcast. So thanks for no, jumping on. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. I think it's uh, unique. Um, you know, I'm excited to chat a little bit. Sweet, man. So, so first of all, let's just talk about, you know, how, uh, how it feels and, and how, it's, how it's changing things for you now that you've been able to take that final, that, that step. I know it's like getting back, to, getting back to business and trying to do it again, but, you know, how has this, you know, sort of made you feel about your program and helped you kind of grow your program as far as being able to join the club of a national championship? Um, well, you know, it's, it's, you'd like to think that, you know, we did it with hard work and, um, you know, humility and, and doing it the right way. So um, I'm hoping it hasn't changed us at all. Um, it, it does, it does make things a little bit different when, you know, over the course of the summer, you'll be doing nothing or whatever and whatever you're doing and just kind of pops in your head and just think for a second, wow, we, we won a national championship. So, um, you know, that's, that's mildly distracting, but <laughs> what, I, what I'll tell you is that, uh, and what I've told other people is it's, it's as awesome, at least to me, it was as awesome as you think it might be. Um, it was a phenomenal experience. And, you know, our, our guys are just, um, you know, they were very driven and very focused and just thankful that I had them, the, you know, allowed me to ride on the bus with them, you know? Yeah. Phenomenal, man. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 video assessment tool. You know what? One of the th- things I thought was so cool was after uh, you guys beat Penn in the uh, Ivy League, I don't know, semifinals, I think, and, right. uh, and just, uh, just the attitude of your players and just how into it they are um, and just – you know, just how committed you could just tell. And it's, you know, I'm sure that, you know, that really carried over to the tournament and was, has really been sort of a trademark. And so my question to you is, you know, how have you built, how would you say that you've built this culture of, of excellence and hard work and determination? Well, you know, I don't, um, <clears throat> that's, that's kind of difficult, I guess, just to answer, you know, I think yeah. it's been a long process and, you know, we've had expectations of, of, um, you know, these guys are over my entire time here. Um, and I think we, once we kind of turned the corner in, in 2010, um, you know, I had a captain, Brendan Gibson, who really pushed the team, um, you know, more than, than any guy really had at the time. Um, you know, and, and I think that for us, we, we kind of saw the light that we need as many self-directed and self-motivated guys as we possibly can um, because we're not always there, you know, and guys can work hard in practice and they can, they, they can get after it when coaches watch him, but it's, it's when we're not watching, especially in the Ivy league, that's most important. Um, you know, and, and I think that, and, and not to say we didn't have, you know, guys, I mean, I, 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 you know, I, my first thought when we won it is, is, you know, the guys that, weren't able to be there and they weren't, weren't able to win an Ivy title. Um, you know, there's guys that have shed a lot of tears in a Yale uniform that, that really mean a lot to me that have done a ton to kind of move us in this direction. Um, but I feel like, you know, when that year in 2010, we probably had, you know, more, um, I'd say more guys than, than not. Uh, it's probably the best way to put it. Uh, they weren't, they weren't outnumbered and, 
at that point in time, we, they just, they started working harder and pr they practiced more on their own. And, um, you know, they just, they just wanted it. So it kind of layered from there and guys started, started, um, we started recruiting a little bit differently. Uh, we started talking more about, you know, the expectation, what we wanted in terms of personality and, um, in terms of, uh, you know, work ethic. Uh, and then we got a little crazy. We started, we started to more or less threaten recruits instead of, instead of <laughs> say nice things to them, you know, and, and, uh, you know, tell them that it's going to be really hard and you sure you want to sign up for this thing. And I think armed with a Yale diploma at the back end of it, a lot of kids, you know, will, will say whatever they want to say to a coach, uh, in that office. And, and we want to make sure that we were getting kids that really just were driven and, and almost, um, you know, almost psychotic about doing something special. So, um, we try to never waver, um, you know, within that, the way we discuss that with recruits, we try and make sure that, you know, I think we've probably attracted a different, um, a more, um, let's say heralded group of, of recruits right now. I think a lot of the kids that we are talking to, um, people think are, you know, really, really good players. I think we sometimes make a living on guys that people don't know about. You definitely have. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, for us, because we are attracting guys that, that other schools are really going after pretty hard. Um, we have to be extra careful to, follow the model and just tell them like, listen, this is going to be really hard. And, you know, we say it a lot. The next time you sit on the couch in our office, it might be, you know, if you come here, it's because you're in trouble and you're going to be terrified and, you know, you're not working hard enough. And, you know, they, they see our guys, they come to practice and, um, you know, they see what, what our guys do and we want to make sure they see it in its full exposure in the weight room and in the, in practice and see, okay, this is the level of work that you're going to have to bring. Um, you know, and, and if you're up for it, great. And if you're not, it's no problem at all. And, you know, then we kind of go from there. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, um, yeah, I'd like, I don't know if we're doing anything different than, than anyone else, but the things that we highlight and the things that we promote, we don't show them gear. We don't show them a nice locker room. Um, you know, it, we just, we say, this is what we expect. You know, this is a lift. This is a, this is a practice. And if this excites you, then great. And we, we, you know, probably to a fault, we rarely talk about the academics. I think you're spoiled at, at a place like Yale. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it becomes a, maybe a foregone conclusion in an Ivy league school, but um, sometimes we have to remind ourselves to mention that it's a, a pretty good degree as well. So <laughs> No I think that, you know, when we do that, um, I think we by and large get guys, we get a, you know, the 40 something man roster, we get almost all of them are, are like that. Um, and then we've in years past, we've had walk-ons that, um, have become almost folk heroes on our, on our team that, uh, you know, they got in on their own and they are even more driven than some of the guys on our roster and have turned into you know, really incredible players for us and, and incredible leaders. Um, and if we can kind of promote them, you know, above other guys who are, you know, more her heralded players, um, I think that goes a long way for a, maybe a freshman who walked on and, and, you know, he looks at this kid who's a senior, D Mitty, who's, you know, always being, always being praised by the coaches in front of the team you know, and, and, and they never seem to talk about the leading scorer. All they do is talk about this D Mitty who got in on his own and, you know, might be undersized, um, you know, so feel like that adds to it a little bit and it's genuine. That's, that's kind of how we feel. You know, it's one of the reasons why we're a strong defensive team is it means a lot to us. Um, but it kind of adds to the culture, I think overall. You guys um, put a huge emphasis on strength and conditioning, both, I think, in your recruiting as well as with your team and, and everybody in division one lacrosse is working hard. Uh, right. Just talk a little bit about your philosophy and, and, and why it kind of works for you. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm very, very lucky to have a, a strength coach who's um, he's cutting edge and he's, he's very bright. His name's Tom Newman. Um, you know, 
he was a guy that I got to know who he wasn't our strength coach uh, years ago. I got to know him as more of a consultant to our program and so things that he was saying, explaining to me, um, made more sense to me than anything I'd heard in the past. Um, like what? Just how to evaluate an athlete. You know, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we don't talk about a bench press anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't, we don't go, my, my former players that had to do a mile test or a 300 test or things of that nature um, would like to punch me in the face when I tell them we don't do a two mile run or a <laughs> 300 yard shuttle test anymore. Um, you know, we assume that the conditioning part will take care of itself with the culture that yeah. the guys understand the expectation. Uh, we want to see guys who are explosive. We want to see guys who, um, you know, who can, who can put meat on their frame and can move that meat fast, basically. So, um, ultimately a guy who comes in who's six, five and, and very twitchy is going to be, has more potential to do some great things on a lacrosse field than a guy who's, you know, five, eight and slow like their coach. So, you know, I think that the, um, for us, that's, that's really, we've gone away from, we used to have 10 metrics that we would evaluate for our team. And, and, um, you know, it was, it was bench press and, you know, how much lot. when we, we would do a fitness competition at the end of the semester, it's something that Greg Canella does. And we got from UMass brought, I brought with me from UMass and it's great. It gives the guys a lot to work on, but you do body fat percentage and you do, you know, two mile run and 300 yard shuttle. And it gives you a holistic view of the athlete. Um, bench press and all these things. And then when you kind of look at it um, at the end of the day, those things don't really matter that much. Um, you know, especially when, if a guy runs, uh, you know, a great two mile run in December uh, and then decides to eat like a Viking over Christmas break and, and not do anything, then it's kind of worthless. So um, we, we try not to do a lot of running uh, in the off season. We try not to do a lot of running in practice. We never really do sprints in practice. Um, the last two times we've done it were the last two first fall practices uh, when I felt like the guys were moving too slow and we put them on the line. But by and large, we don't do – we don't run a lot in practice at all apart from the drills. We don't do any – we do punishment runs for a competition. You know, right. make guys they – lo they lose a game, they got to do a run. Right. But we don't put the whole team on the line ever ever that's time we could be using playing lacrosse um so um you know i think our guys understand that they have to get bigger and they have to get faster and i think our recruits we make sure that they see that um you know matt brandow is a freshman for us right now he he came on his visit i think his senior year and i'll never forget the look on his face when he saw the size of everybody and he looked borderline terrified and, um, you know, he came in this fall determined not to be, you know, the runt of the, of the team showed up in, you know, September, he looked like a bouncer, you know, his neck looked like a telephone pole. So we think that that makes an impact when guys see our guys and say, okay, the expectation is that you come in and you have to be big and we'll worry about you getting fast, but you gotta be, you gotta be, you gotta be a big dude. So, um, you know, and it's not necessarily height. It's, you know, it's, you know, making sure they're thick in their, in their legs and able to, able to, you know, hold the corner on a guy if they need to. You talked earlier about how, you know, it's, it's like, you know, kind of, it's kind of a little bit of a secret sauce, but yet you felt like it was pretty unreplicable. You know, what are some of the highlights that you, you could share with listeners on some of the things that you do? Uh, before we turn the page, I'll start the conditioning. Some, some of the exercises, some of the metrics, maybe some of the things you kind of look at. Uh, okay, let's see. What, what can I talk about? Oh, I already talked about the lack of conditioning. I mean, yeah. you know, the first year we worked with him, um, he said, you guys, you're not allowed to run over the summer. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> We're lacrosse players. We like to play summer ball. At least we did, right? You and I did. But the, I'm not sure kids play summer ball anymore. Um, but he said, he said, you can't run and put on muscle at the same time. So 
Um, he told the team that unless something's trying to eat you, first first fight it off and then maybe break run. into a light jog, but don't <laughs> run. Um, so you guys don't play lacrosse, except for your Canadians that play box lacrosse in the summer. Or, or your Americans who are kind of cheating a little bit. You know, our guys like to play summer lacrosse. They kind of like would text me like, am I allowed to play? And it, it's a, you know, like that, that gray area is, is kind of where we live a little bit between coach Newman's expectation and the fact that we're still lacrosse players. But, um, but that allows us, our guys to put on muscle over the summer and, you know, it gets them in a position where, um, you know, we can worry about their conditioning later. I'm not, you know, we show up in the fall first practice and we feel like it takes our team about five practices to make it through a full practice. Um, the first one is good for about 45 minutes and then it's just awful, you know, and that's with a good, it's a fair amount of conditioning. Um, but once they kind of get their legs under them a little bit more then it's better. Um, you know, I think that we've traditionally, we've been terrible in the fall and I say traditionally the last four years. Um, and that's, that is expected because we are bigger and slower and that's just the way it goes. That's that, that phase of the program, you know, guys come in, you know, sometimes a little doughy, a little fluffy and that's okay because over the course of the year, we will carve that out and make, make them faster and cut away that fat a little bit or they will I should say and uh you know it's it's coach Newman calls that free speed when we when we get rid of the fat so um it's <laughs> awesome are there certain lifts and things that you guys do that's different from uh, other core or is it pretty much the same core lifts that you know Olympic lifts squats do you guys do a lot of deadlifting we do we deadlift and we squat and we you know we do all those and we, and we do bench we don't we don't ignore bench we feel like that it's yeah important that you have at least I mean you're going to need it but you know once our guys can bench you know you know one and a half times their body weight is a lot of is a lot of weight to bench yeah um you know we feel like we're not football players we can go one and a quarter you know what I mean yeah um the expect we, we do a lot of squatting we, we we do a lot with the legs and if you if you watch us play you'll see our guys have big thick legs yeah um you know and it's it's a matter of understanding kind of where you are and where you can be. And if guys kind of drift in the same spot and they, they just don't get any better. Um, you know, and, and much is made of Ben Reeves progression as an athlete. Um, the guys on our team will, will joke around that he was, you know, he was faking it when he got here that he's actually really athletic and, um, but he's a kid who'd never really seen the inside of a weight room. So he's also a diligent kid and he worked really hard and, you know, the, the program worked for him. His vert yes. went up dramatically. Um, he became much more explosive. And he showed up with a tremendous skill set. So, yeah, that helped. Do you, guys, do you guys not do much speed work then as far as teaching speed and, and mechanics and agility and stuff like that? No, we do, we do, we do, uh, we do speed work. Um, we do certain kinds of speed work. We do... Um, we definitely do agilities. Uh, we have, we have, um, plyos that we do. Um, but once again, it's all, it's all in phases. So, um, once fall ball's over, they're going to be entering a different phase. And then once, once winter break comes, that's another phase. Got it. Uh, they'll be expected to follow the plan diligently. Um, but it, it's, it's very holistic, but it's not, there's really, there's nothing wasted. If you could look at something rational and say, okay, um, we definitely don't need this right now. Right. Um, we don't need to be able to run a, a five thirty mile in September. You probably don't need any, any time, honestly, but, but you don't need to be in like great shape. Uh, you know? Yeah. I mean, the thing is it's, it's, you know, and, and he was in my office the other day. He's, he's very concerned about the new rules and what this does to your work to rest ratio. And he feels like he's found the kind of the button for the work to rest ratio. Um, you know, when we do our drills, they, he wants them to mimic that uh, kind of a three to one or a one to three work to rest ratio, I guess. Um, so your lines are never really more than four deep when anytime we carve a drill. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's there's constant thought on it. You know, there really is. He's he's 
he's been it's been very helpful. Awesome, really cool. Um, let's let's turn the topic to player development. Uh, one of my favorite topics. You know, what's sort of your overall philosophy on? Let's just talk about developing the offensive player as far as dodging and 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 shooting and fundamentals. You know, just uh, talk a little bit about what you guys do and and, and really kind of how you think about it. Yeah, I think that we um, we spend a lot of time when guys first get there is in teaching them um, not how we shoot, but how we want them to be able to develop as a shooter on their own. Um, and by shooting, you know, we separate it in, an, in a bunch of different ways. Um, we talk about time and room shooting, which is guys that can stretch the field. Uh, we talk about shooting on the run, uh, which is um, – obviously dramatically different. Anyone that can think back to their development as a player and offensive player could tell you it's very awkward uh, relative to time and room shooting. Uh, and then we talk about finishing ability to, to place the ball in tight. Um, and I think that growing up, at least, you know, I, I, I say growing up, like when we grew up, the, the, the um, I guess the prevailing opinion was that placements always better than power. You know, uh, and, and I don't think that's not true, but I don't think it tells the whole story. Um, you know, for instance, I think that I personally think that in terms of shooting outside of 12 yards uh, and shooting on the run, you need to develop, you need to develop power before you develop placement. Uh, and I think that when people, um, when people, when, when people rely on the placement, uh, they end up tending to push the ball more. Um, so what we try and do is we try and strip that muscle memory out of their, out of their, um, it's really out of their hands more than anything else. Um, and what I, what I'll tell them, Jamie, is, is it, so for instance, um, you think back when you first started playing, right? Like the very, let's think of the very first game that you played. Mm -hmm. Okay. You ran down the field. How old were you? Seven? Ten. Ten. You ran down the field. And, and you went to shoot the ball, right? What happened in that game right when you went to shoot the ball the first time? Goalie I mean, you're, caught you're, you're an, <laughs> You were an incredible player, so maybe it's a bad example with you. No, but the, um, ultimately the, the answer is typically it fell out the back or it sailed across the top of the head of the stick and then flew out of the stadium or, or whatever. Right. The very next time down the field, you went to shoot and you're like, this isn't happening to me this time. And you brought your hands closer to your body and you jiggled a little bit to make sure it was still in the right spot and you shot it. And the worst thing that could have happened to a 10 year old Jamie Monroe is for that ball to go in the goal. And it probably did. So ultimately what you learned in that moment is if you keep it close to the center core of your body, you got a better chance of scoring. And while that may be true, the further it is from your center core of the body, the more power you can generate. But your fingertips, unless they are taught to trust where the ball is in your stick at a long distance from your body, they will never trust it. So you have to practice shooting the ball as hard as you can with your hands the furthest distance away to the point where you don't trust where the ball is in your stick. And very often it, it sails off the top, even as a, as a young adult, uh, or very often it just misses the mark entirely. So we practice shooting the ball as hard as possible with that full extension that, that is a uncomfortable distance from their center core of their body. Are you talking about straight arms then? Yeah, yeah straight as they can. Yeah. Straight as they can. Um, apart from that. All different angles. In, t in terms of angles to the goal or angles? Uh, all different angles, overhands, three-quarters, sidearm, underhand, whatever. Well, you know, what's interesting is the way I explain it, and once again, I don't pretend to be right, but the way I explain it is the, the biggest value of an overhand shot is if, you're, if your stick hooks as opposed to a sidearm shot. If, you're, if your stick hooks or, or you got too much whip, you double the size of the cage and you got a better chance of hitting it. Yeah. It might bounce. Yeah. So in my opinion, that's the, for a developing shooter, that is the biggest reason why you should shoot overhand. There's the value of hiding the stick from the goalie. There's the value of it's, it's harder to read and, and all of that. 
not lost on me at all. The one thing I will say is that if you teach a young man the value of shooting underhand and sidearm, then, and you do it with those same expectations that his hands are the furthest distance away from the center core of his body, he will learn how to feel the ball in his fingertips sooner than he would if he went straight overhand because he has to. So that's, and once again, people might listen to this and be like, all right, I'm, I got better stuff to do than, than listen to this. <laughs> but but in, instead of saying to a kid, yeah, don't, don't shoot underhand or overhand or whatever, um, I, I think there's value in, once again, being able to feel the ball on your fingertips. Um, and by that, I mean that the, the feel of the stick, one of the things that we will you know, even college kids will come in and we'll have them grip the stick and they'll find, I think that their fingertips wrap too far around so, the, so that the tips of their fingers aren't touching the stick. And without that, you won't be able to feel where the ball is. And you think of how you grip a stick, you're a hands guy, right? So do you, do you understand what I mean by how you can feel it in your fingertips when, you, when you're throwing the ball around? I do. And, and I think that there's a lot of kids that don't understand that. Is there a difference between, um, uh, you know, I'm a lefty, but I'm right-handed. So I, I kind of do things a little, maybe a little differently on one side than I do the other. So if I go righty, I have a tendency to have a little bit more fingertips action. If I go lefty, my left hand might have fingertip, but my, my right hand uh, might grip the stick a little bit differently because I yank it hard. That right. Um, well, and that's, that, that speaks to the theory, right? So you're, you've got your dexterity and your strong hand is the one that's, that's kind of controlling everything. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and it's, it's difficult for people to learn. Once again, straight overhand shooters, you know, it doesn't take any, doesn't take any true skill in, in terms of your kind of the feel of your fingertips to shoot it straight overhand when it sits in the, in the stick like a catapult. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're shooting underhand, it, you got to be able to feel it or it will fall out. So we'll tell, we'll, we'll show kids like, right. you know, um, I totally get though the fact that like, if I'm and, and I, I've really looked at like, uh, there's some really great straight arm shooters. Like uh, Wesley Bird was a straight arm shooter. And so is uh, Zach Miller. These guys like in, in a lot of Canadians and, and natives actually, but, uh, um, and, and so I started to mess around with that myself. And I, I know exactly what you mean though. The more you extend your arms, the more it has to be in your fingertips. Right. Whereas if you keep it in tight, you can kind of, uh, you know, you can get a little push pull and, and yank down with a, a hard bottom hand grip. Well, and it's all, it's all, it, all it is, is what your brain trusts, honestly. Mm -hmm. And, 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 if, and if over the course of a couple of weeks, it doesn't take long with, you know, full extension to, to teach your brain that your fingertips can feel the ball that far from your body. It's not, as long as you hold the stick the right way, it's not as harrowing as you think. And, and it, it doesn't take long for guys to start to hone in on it a little bit. Um, do you guys measure it? Do you, do you, do, do you, do you measure speed? Uh, fast yeah, we, we, yeah, we do, we do fast. their shot speed and, and all that stuff. And, you know, we'll How much are you able to sort of put on, you know, when you kind of work on this stuff on the new kid, are you putting on an easy five or 10 miles an hour? I think, I think some of the guys that come in underdeveloped, we can do, you know, sometimes 10, maybe even more, you know, and, and it's, once again, it's, it's all it is, is how far, how much are they willing to invest in lever mechanics? We talk about where your top hand should be mm -hmm. you know, on, on the stick. I think a lot of kids don't understand that you know, the, the kind of the value of the, of that, the lever mechanics and the way we'll illustrate is that, you know, if you're, if you take your top hand, right. And you grip the plastic and say, shoot it as hard as you possibly can. Right. Yep. It's going to be a pretty lame shot. Right. Right. Your hands are fully extent, fully. For sure. Yeah. Right. Now, if you take it, take your hand, and you put it next to your right next to your bottom hand, like a like a baseball grip. Yep. And say shoot it as hard as you can. You're not strong enough to generate enough power in that fulcrum to to get anything out of it, right? Mm -hmm. But in theory, it's the furthest distance from. That. In theory, you could swing it the hardest, but the ball will slide out. Is what you're right. Saying. So ultimately, along this along that that shaft, the optimal 
place is somewhere. And, you know, I've always felt that, it, that it's about the length of your forearm. Um, and I've always felt that, that it, at least at, the, at a minimum, it has to be there. So if you take the butt end and you tap your funny bone with it as you're gripping it, yeah. that's, where you're, that, that's where it should be. Um, and, then, and then guys that go lower both have to be strong enough in their shoulders and legs and everything else to be able to generate enough power in that fulcrum. Lower meaning closer or farther? Uh, lower meaning closer to your bottom hand. Yeah. Um, that they need to generate the, the power in that fulcrum. If you look at like defensemen that shoot, right? They're not, there's just no way that guys have, have it that length. Right. They gotta spread their hands out a little bit more, you mean? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and we, you can, we can, we'll put tape on their stick and we'll, you know, we, we haven't done this in years, but we can put a gun out there just to illustrate it. So you put a gun out there and you say, okay, now put your hand here and shoot. Now put your hand here and shoot. And you can see the marked difference. You can tell um, where your big, your best power, um, you know, your power position is. So you guys um, make a huge effort on, on working on the power of your outside shooting and the basics is, you know, trying to straighten your arms out, get the stick as far away from your body to create the biggest swing you can possibly have as you, right. as you, as you learn how to shoot from distance. Right. Yeah, it's really cool. And, and the fact that, you, you know, you listen, you get what you measure. So it's really smart to be measuring that. You have a really interesting theory on on the run that you told me about a long time ago in which you, you talk about shooting off your other foot. You know, so if you're a, right, a lefty and you're usually you think about shooting off your left foot when you shoot on the run or a righty shooting off your right foot, just like a, a quarterback. But you talk a little bit about something different. And can you explain that? Or I, I, I always had a hard time sort of really, I try to be honest with you, Andy, I, I literally have gone out over the years. This is not something I just did right after you told me it comes back to me every now and then. And I keep going back to trying to, you know, shoot off the other foot but how do you how do you explain right well it's not it's not that i I would say that the propellant in your shot on the run okay is going to be your stick side hit right that's got to get through the shot so if you watch really good shooters on the run and you slow-mo video that you pick any guy any any guy that's a pro, um, pick Tom Schreiber. He should. He, he's interesting. If you watch him, he's a little different. And I've watched him. He's he's a little. He's just ridiculously powerful. Yeah, he is. Um, and and, and I say this, it, it's more of a bell curve thing, because I don't think anybody is really talking about it like this. Once again, I might be wrong. You know yeah. what I mean? I could be. I could be way off. <laughs> um, but ultimately. If you look at the, the, the position of your feet when you shoot time and room, when the ball comes out of your stick, yep. the ball comes out of your stick, ultimately that should be the most amount of power that, that you generate, right? So let's just say that that's the, the point. If you look at your feet, when that happens, you, you look like a less exaggerated, but you look like a pitcher, right? You look like you're, look, you look like you're in a stride, mm-hmm. right? If you look at a guy who a really good shooter on the run, and you pause the video. By and large, for the most part, their feet are actually even. So, here, here's where this gets a little bit squirrely: is that you might even they're 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 even with each other. Your your oh. your drag your your drag leg is almost even with your front leg. Got it. So they're like, almost like they're together. Right. Okay. The reason why that's significant is because your body wants you, you know, you've heard that, that your arms and feet can't move at a different cadence, right? You've heard that before? Yeah. So what happens is that your body wants this rhythm. And when you pick up playing lacrosse, these kids start playing. And you might remember as a young kid trying to shoot on the run, realizing this is really awkward. And the reason is because your brain wants, if you work your shot on the, the time and room over and over again, Mm-hmm. Your brain wants your feet to look like that, where you're in stride. Right. And when you go to shoot on the run, it feels weird because your feet are not 
in that in that gate pattern. And you're releasing why, it off the other foot. Right. Which is why you'll see kids develop when they shoot on the run, they will start to jump. Mm-hmm. Because and be, jumping is ends up being a cop out because you can't reconcile what your brain your brain just doesn't like the comfort. You don't feel like it's whatever. So if you take both feet off the ground and you jump, then that's a shortcut to being able to at least get the shot off. When you talk about jump, you mean like, uh, you know, if you're a left-handed player, shooting a jump shot off your right foot, or you mean like just shooting it while you're in the air between leave the, the earth? Leave the earth, take both feet off the ground, and that way your brain isn't confused. That's it. <clears throat> so ultimately, what we teach our guys is that you have to, you have to get your stick side hip, and we don't talk about it, right? We don't say, because you say like, hey, shoot off this foot, and you watch a guy start to run down the alley and think about it, and then like, uh, this, you know, yeah, it just it's just really hard to verbalize. It is, you know what I mean. Um, one of the things people talk about squaring your shoulders that certainly helps um, in terms of getting the right torque and all that. But if your feet if, you're, if you've developed into a great time and room shooter, I think by and large, unless guys are really gifted ath- athletically, I think some of them will feel like that they're not great shooters on the run because they don't – and the reason is because their feet are – their brain wants their feet to be like that. Um, the other issue is when people practice – when young men practice shooting on the run, if they don't do it in full speed, if they just jog mm-hmm. – then that is, and they condition their brain like that when they have to do it in full speed, the cadence is totally off and that's ultra confusing for that young man. So the, 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 the resolution for them is to either jump or don't involve your legs at all, which ultimately gets you no power whatsoever. So, and by that, I mean, just your stride shortens, you, you just run along and, you know, barely square your shoulders and barely turn your hips and then just chuck the ball at the net and off we go. Um, we have a theory that, that, um, that you have to go around your opposite leg. You have to torque around your opposite leg in a manner um, so that that is the only thing involved. And the only way to efficiently do that is to do it at 90 degrees from the goal. So when we practice shooting on the run down the alley, we start by doing it in a 90-degree pattern Coming across parallel yes. to the goal line. Yes. So they know, they know they are torquing around their opposite leg. And they know they're getting their hip thrust from that stick side hip. And then there's so no- if you're a right-hander, you're coming across and you're you're saying that you're gonna torque across, you're gonna end up shooting it off your left foot, but pivoting and torquing your right leg at a 90-degree angle towards the net. Is that what you mean? No, you're running, you're running. Parallel to the goal line, you're shooting 90 degrees um, from yeah. where you are running. Yeah. And you're doing it exclusively off to your opposite foot. Which foot is that? Your right foot? If I have a stick in my right hand, I'm, I'm stepping on the ground in my left foot. Okay. And then because it's 90 degrees, because that's the way we set it up, and because we're sticklers about that it starts to smooth out the, the cadence issues that people have. So there, he's shooting off his left foot coming across. Yes, but the, but the right hip is torquing around the left leg. And that's why, that's what we're going for. And the so, right leg is going to be torquing around it. And so to the extent that you'd have a pivot on your left foot, kind of as your right foot was torquing around towards the net. Yes. And then you've got your... Then you've got your, you know, your back pedal after that. And um, yeah, it's cool. Well, I know what you mean though, because when you come across and shoot sweeping across on a lefty, so I, I always have to like think about it in my terms, but you know, you, if you, sh- if you shoot off your right foot, but then torque around off to your left, um, I, you know, it's, it's, it, it not only gives you great power, but it gives you a great amount of, uh, almost like a, a pause and a hitch that allows you to be really deceptive in your shooting too. Do you find that at all too, or not? Um, it's not something that, uh, that I think is a big part of it. No, 
but I, I, it's not, not a part of it, but yeah. I mean, think about, think about as you discuss it, you know, it's, it's like, it's not, it's confusing as you discuss it and how long have you been coaching? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy. I love talking about it because it's just, I find it so interesting. Now, what's I, your, I, think, I, think, I think a lot of people think I'm crazy, but, <laughs> and that's fine. Totally. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 video assessment tool. But what, um, what's your take on deceptiveness in shooting? Do you think about it much or do you just worry more about power first and then placement second? Well, I think going back to it, once again, it's, there's, there's shooting and then there's finishing. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, – there's guys that, that – really advanced guys that, that can do whatever they want and they can, they're really powerful. They can stretch the field. So, you know, it, it becomes your um, – how big is your toolbox? You know what I mean? I think a lot of pro guys – you know, can do, you know, incredible things from a distance. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking about having the guys that nobody recruited come in and develop hopefully a shot with time and room or a shot on the run. And, um, you know, I, I look at a guy like Michael Kesey, who was, I think he was a second team All-American for us his, his senior year. You know, he was basically told by Dartmouth and Middlebury that he could walk on. You know what I mean? If he got in uh, and we ended up taking him and, and he did, he worked really hard, um, but did, did what was told, what was told of him and ended up being an incredible shooter, you know, by his, you know, junior and senior year. Um, you know, I think of guys like, you know, some of your super elite shooters, like, you know, John Grant or um, Westberg or, you know, like a guy like Joel Walters, you know, Joe Walters is a really good example. You, you talked about any angle. Joe Walters, you know, is a guy who I, I feel like can do anything almost 180 degrees around his shoulder socket. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, he can go overhand, he can go underhand, like one of those types of guys. That, that guy's got incredible um, control, you know. Um, so with respect to the finishing part, so inside 12, whatever, we work a lot in, on finishing, and um, we try and help guys with that. I don't, I don't know if we're doing as good a job as, as um, you know, recruiting can do for us. When you get a kid with a letter in his zip code, um, that, that helps, helps a little better than trying to teach a guy to do it, but um, we try. Awesome. How are the uh, new rules treating you, switching gears? They're fine. You know, I think that the, the big difference is going to be the clearing. You know, I think that uh, clearing in 20 seconds is, a, is an adventure. And, you know, the amazing thing is it's, it's really hard to ride, um, you know, which is not good for the Yale Bulldogs because we love to ride. But, um, you know, it's, uh, we'll see if we can – we've got a little time to hopefully put some time into it. But. So I don't understand. How, how is it harder to clear and harder to ride? Um, <laughs> that's a good point, I guess. What we found is that we can't, I, I wouldn't say it's harder to clear, but you have to clear a certain way. And you only got 20 seconds. I feel like when it was 30 seconds to get a touch, things developed slower. We could ride a little bit with a little bit more savvy. Um, the extra time got you in position. You're saying basically, I think so. Yeah. Uh, the 20 seconds across the midline is, um, it's not a lot of time for the, for those teams. So I think everybody, you know, we only played, um, we played our alums that, 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 you know, did the rule for us and then Notre Dame. And we both tried to clear the ball so fast that the, 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 the turnovers that you hope to get didn't quite happen. Yeah. Um, they only happened on the first day of practice. Yeah. You know, so, but it, you know, it remains to be seen. I think the shot clock itself is a great idea. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, 80 seconds is, is, I think we're one of these teams where it doesn't really affect us. Um, you know, how we, how we play offense at all. Uh, we're not slow. We're not crazy, but we're not slow. And yep. 80 seconds is plenty of time. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I, I watched the Ohio state 
North Carolina game last weekend. And it, it's a better game to watch now, though. I mean, you know, watching the Yale Bulldogs, maybe things don't change. But you do sub faster. You're not going to, like, dick around <clears throat> in any way because you're going to – you know, you're just not going to waste the, the time that you have, even though that's right. part of time. And that, that's so much better for – really, for the game. I mean, because it's just it's more action. You know, so. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I think that the – you know, we were in a situation last year where, you know, teams sit on the ball and, Brutal. you know, if we were, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just the fact that you have to convince an official that the slow sub is, is a tactic. Right. <laughs> and, and unfortunately some of them are like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Or they, they, they just ignore it. It's like, you got to sub, you got to sub, Andy. It's really frustrating. <laughs> like, they didn't just remember to sub the poll 45 seconds. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, what do we forget? Oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got down the goal line. Just right. Cool. That's, to me, that's like, oh, for us, it's, that's pretty, that was pretty painful. How about the dive? I was thinking about, uh, I was, uh, I'm curious to get your opinions on whether you like it. How, how much of the dive is going to change, you know, the way you play defense or the way you play offense? Um. Or maybe not you, but anybody. You know, I've heard theories that people are going to, you know, you're going to dive with deep in a shot clock because why not? Um, I don't know. I, I don't uh, – you know, I heard one team first practice, a guy blew out a knee. And I said, okay, we're not doing it. So <laughs> we, didn't, uh, we didn't allow our guys to dive this, this fall at all. Um, I'm not I wasn't positive that it was that it was going to be worth it instituted yeah you know what I mean oh, yeah. or, or, or worth it yeah um, my feeling and I know it's not exciting but I I, I I thought the way to clean up that rule and make it safer for everybody is if a guy jumps in the crease and he doesn't land on his feet then that can be that can be an illegal dive but if he lands on his feet if he leaves his feet and lands on his own feet then that's probably not going to hurt anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah, no doubt. But if he goes horizontal, he's like a heat-seeking missile there, someone might get hurt. Now, Doug Knight would probably cry himself to sleep if that was, <laughs> if that was the dive moving forward. But um, I, I would think he would probably agree that it's better than nothing. So – that but it's way not going to change your – offensively, it doesn't sound like you're worrying about it too much and doing it defensively – you know, are you, are you going to play guys? Are you preparing to be able to play uh, attack men that might want to get underneath you and dive a little bit differently? I mean, is it, are you just going to kind of play how you play? Maybe you have to slide earlier. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure how it's going to work you know, out. With, with only – we only had nine practices this fall, you know. Yeah. It's just not a lot of bandwidth to, to worry about that, at least at our – you know, for an Ivy League school, so – I'm going to wait and see, you know, the penalty structure of it is. Yeah. It's, it's high. It's a lot. It's a big uh, risk. Yeah. It's, it's well, and, and, and it's, I'm not sure how easy it is to call. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's a little bit of NFL, to be honest with you. It, it's going to be harder. I, I, I have a feeling we're going to get a memo after the first week and say, here's a clarification on this. And here's a clarification on that, which whatever. Yeah, I just it just seems a little a little loose to me. I haven't put enough time into it, to be honest with you. We uh, we talked a little bit earlier about this, but one of the fundamentals that you teach kids when they come in is what you call your transition rules, mm -hmm. and uh, it's really simple stuff. Um, but it's really cool. Do you mind sharing? No, I only um so. The transition rules were, and it's it's not a, uh, it's not groundbreaking by any means. But it's, I went and watched a high school game. It should it will remain nameless. The high school will remain nameless. And I remember thinking this is the most insulting version of the game I've ever seen, with kids dodging through covered space and ignoring each other in transition. And I walked away from it going, I wonder. I said to myself, if there's a 10 commandments of lacrosse, they, they probably violated 10 of them. <laughs> and as I got in the car, I'm like, I wonder if there is a 10 commandments. And I tried to write them down and it was a little, little disjointed and, and, uh, and out of control. 
and how I wrote it. And then I realized, or I thought that there's a lot of odd man rushes, so to speak, in our game. Um, you've asked the question, is this transition or uneven? And it's truly, it is uneven, but it's been called transition rules so many times that, um, that I just, we haven't changed it. So, but just for the listeners, you know, this is uh, you draw a slide and you're uneven. You're, you know, it's a ground ball offense and it's uneven. It's a, it's transition. It's man up. It happens all the time. It's clearing. It's everything. Clearing. It's everything. Um, and that's how we teach it. We'll, we'll explain it and then we'll make sure the goalies know that this applies to you as well. It really helps you in the clearing game. Um, but the rules are relatively simple. We, we diagram them in a, in a three on two situation. And we will say they apply to everything, but let's just say in this three on two that the third defensive player is, is coming into the play somehow. And he's coming in a certain amount of time. So we have to follow these rules in that time to make sure we take advantage of that moment. And we're not going to use our talent. We're going to use these rules more than anything else. And the first rule is never let the ball beat you to the cage. And by that, in a regular three-on-two, I think I explained it to you that this, you know, this guy in the middle with the ball and the two flanks of him um, get, are on either side of him. They have to be – they don't the, – the ball carrier can't let the ball beat everyone to the cage, which when you get to the second rule, it gets harder for him. But the flanks have to be so far ahead of the ball that they are an option. So – Ultimately, if it's a three-on-two, those two defensive players, if they're flat and not in an eye, we want to stress their um, peripheral vision. So that's how you follow that rule. Violate it all the time. People outside the play, people, you know, spectating as opposed to playing. Um, it's, it's everywhere. Just puts guys in. If they can follow that rule, they're in a good position. Uh, the second rule is if you're not – Vision, elaborate on that real quick for, for the listeners. So you're saying if it's a three-on-two, they're picking you up uh, 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 split, not stacked. Right. right. You're saying that you uh, – your wings, as that guy is going to draw somebody, you can't be in the peripheral vision of the defender who's trying to decide who's picking yeah, you want to – well, you want to stress it, you know. I think that the um, – I think you want to make it hard. If he can see both of you – Without having to turn yeah. his head at all, Got it. then you're not putting any pressure under him. And, and ultimately, if that's the case, he should be able to scrape to that guy. And, that, and that's how you know if you violated that rule is if the, if the original ball carrier throws you the ball and one of those defensemen is able to scrape to you, then you violated that rule. There's your, there's your tell right there. Yep. Um, the second rule is if you're not covered, get covered. And this is violated – all the time when we get really good high school players that come in and they think that they can, you know, use their talent to find out which guy is open. So they'll carry the ball and they're, they'll twirl their stick and they'll hitch and fake and the ball will be in their stick way too long. And for me, my, my standards are long is like a split second. Um, and then going back to illustrate, there's that guy that's coming in the hole that's making it a three on three. So it's a race against the clock. You know, our windows of opportunity are very slight and they're closing all the time. So any time that you spend wasting by surveying the field or, like I said, hitching or, or whatever, and I know we've had that discussion, um, is a clear violation and it's going to end up biting you in the, in the back. And then the third rule, uh, well, so – the, the rule is if you're not covered, get covered, which means you have to go at that man as fast as possible immediately or go to the goal immediately. One of those two, like, like somebody pull the fire drill, like that fast. Um, and then the third rule is if you are covered, move it. And that's it. And then once that ball moves to the next person, they kind of start all over again. Um, once again, it sounds a lot like just draw the open man and move it, but it's, it's far more um, specific, in my opinion, and it's far more – you can see it in a drill when it's not done right. You can see how it's – you can see how we rely on it. And, yeah, and You showed me some film before this, and it was really cool to watch the guys, watch your guys both uh, in drills and in games. You showed me 
your favorite clip from the final four when you guys scored that transition goal, but the ability to play fast, to be able to like get covered and draw and run right at a defender as fast as you can to be able to move it on to the next guy with, with those wings, those flanks, you know, getting into uh, getting, you know, not being behind the ball and then talk a little bit about when you don't do it, you know, karma ends up biting. Right. Well, and this is one of these things that I say, and I'm sure the guys find funny and, like making fun of the guys that screw up, but um, I have a theory that if you don't follow the rules and you somehow end up with a doorstep shot that something strange and cosmic happens that, that the lacrosse gods don't let you score. Um, and it happens a fair amount enough so that when they first get the yell, they think I'm funny and crazy and they think it's cute. And hopefully by their junior year, they're like, maybe he's right about this. So <laughs> there's something um, to this. Yeah. Um, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong about their perception, but, um, you know, I think that, that for us, the way we do that, and it's very hard for guys to understand this, that we do this this way because we don't want to rely on a guy surveying a field and finding an open man. You know what right. I mean? It's playing fast and making the, and playing fundamental at the same time. Right. And making a, um, making a decision that the defense gives you but more importantly, a defense that you force a, a decision that you force the defense to give you, and and not once again not relying on talent. You've, you've got we have very talented players, but um, you know I, I don't I don't know if um, if there's guys like Timmy Goldstein anymore, or you know that can stand on the end line and just find the open man. Well, there are a few actually in college across right now. I'm not sure if we have many of them, but. Um, so ultimately that's, that's where it comes from. And, and, you know, it might be a lot of effort to, to break down and, and strip out a, a three on two, but it's what we do. And um, like I said, I think our guys, they understand why it's, it, why I think it's so important. I think it might take them a little while to, to realize, um, you know, I knew I was onto something when Matt Gibson graduated and then, a couple of years after he was coaching at UCLA and he sent me a text and said, these kids need transition rules. Like nothing I've ever seen. And that's, that's the biggest skeptic and cynic uh, I've ever coached. So um, that was, that was, that was kind of a, a watershed moment. So, <laughs> so when, when you uh, are playing these rules, um, you know, you're it, it, all coaches are kind of trying to figure out a way to, you know, to teach draw and dump and to, to teach good off-ball positioning. And, and so essentially what you've been able to do is, hey, this applies. Never let the ball get ahead of you. If you're not covered, get covered as fast as you can. Um, if you're covered, move it. And, and, and just it teaches you how to do these things in every scenario, coming up the field from the three-on-two of your clear all the way down to any sort of transition and um, slide and recovery situation and it really I really think that the magic of it is just how fast you have to play because you keep talking about hey if it's a three on two it's going to be a three on three in about a second right. so you have to make these plays so fast if you're dicking around faking passes uh trying to draw and dump the perfect way you're, you're going to have lost that that window is going to close on you right and these these moments crop up a lot you know even even if teams don't want to slide eventually they're going to have to for the most part and um, you know, they just, they just happen enough so that it's important that guys understand how to play in those moments. And like I said, it's not, you could look at it and be like, well, this is just, this is just draw the open man and move it. And, and it is, um, but it is, it's a different, it's, different way of thinking about it though. Right. Yeah. Now you have the defense usually play split as opposed to stacked or do you mix it up? Yeah, we play it. We call it flat. Um, flat. you know, so and speaking of the defense, so this is these transition rules apply to the defense. We talked about karma a few minutes ago. Um, why somehow these guys aren't – why do these guys not score? So with that – armed with that, the goal of the defense should be ultimately try and get them to violate a rule. And really that's it. And that's so that now the defense has to know the rules from a defensive perspective. So if you watch, you know, so watch our guys you play with it flat so that you're going to force them to play that exactly correct. Right. If it's an eye, then, then, then the rules are, it's very easy to, to have the rules laid out. Mm -hmm. You're basically spring loading the rules. You know what I mean? Yep. 
if you play it flat and you give ground and you scrape and you, and you do all those things, there's more of a chance for somebody to make a decision that is not in line with what we're hoping for. Or once again, to try and make a decision rather than do what is so obvious that the ball can figure it out. So that's the, the, the D guys get it have to understand it from a defensive perspective that if you get someone to violate the rules, you have a decent chance of, of, you know, keeping them from scoring. Hopefully with karma at, at, as your ultimate backstop. It's awesome, man. It's really, it's so simple and it's really cool. And uh, I'm definitely going to institute that one. Um, it's funny cause this, it took me, it took me until this time to like totally get it. Like I know I, I understood it when you explained it to me the last time, um, but now I, I, I get it to a better degree and I think hopefully our listeners will too. Really it's amazing. People have said that to me, but they don't quite, it doesn't, it sounds a little counter to what people teach and I don't quite get it. And, and that's fine. And like I said, maybe I'm wrong, but. Um, no, you're not wrong. You're right on, man. It's, 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 you know, I mean, there's a time and a place for, 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 for faking, but, but not when you have about one second to make a play, <laughs> you know, my, my analogy that's actually lost on these young kids now, but you remember like when we were in college, like remember the, in the mall, they'd have like the 3d picture of the sailboat and all that stuff. Yeah. Where like you're staring at it long enough and you can see the actual sailboat, like in the, in the picture. Yeah. You those things. Yeah. They don't have them anymore apparently. But I told the guys like this is eventually they start to sink and you start to realize it. That means that they can see the sailboat. So sounds like you can see the sailboat. Awesome. Well, Andy, it's been uh, really great chatting with you and talking lacrosse. And it's just like uh, every other conversation that we have once every uh, several months to just think about new ideas. And, and um, I'm always fascinated with your take on the game. And I think everybody else is too. So uh, once again, congrats on, on the air. Turn the page. On to 2019. Life without Ben Reeves. Yep. It's going to be, it's gonna be fun. And um, we, uh, we all uh, can't wait to watch you play. So thanks for coming on this podcast. And we'll be thanks. in touch. Well, thanks for having me, buddy. I appreciate it. All right, Andy. Have a good one, buddy. See you. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 Video Assessment Tool.